Today's reading is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 to chapter 6, verse 5, and a version can be found in the Church Bibles on page 1172. Galatians 5, starting at verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord and jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified with the flesh its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one of you should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their load. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. As we've just prayed in the words of that, song, Father, we ask now that you would speak to us through your word, by your spirit. Please give us hearts ready to embrace what you say to us in this word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the last few weeks in our series in Galatians, uh, we've spoken a lot, haven't we, about how we come in to the Christian life. But perhaps the more tricky question is how we go on in the Christian life. Uh, We've spoken a lot about how we come in, and we've expressed the importance of coming in the right way. 
We've said that it is through Christ alone, by His achievements alone, and as Christians, we don't become a Christian because we have a long list of achievements. We don't. We come with empty hands and receive what He's won for us. But the harder question, I think, to answer is, how do we then go on as a Christian? I mean, first of all, what are we meant to be doing with our time? Yes, I know a new creation uh, awaits me. Yes, I know I'm now forgiven. But what am I meant to be doing in the meantime? Or how do I go on, particularly when things don't feel like they've changed much? Uh, I'm confronted with that reality that I still sin. Or I still have the struggles that um, through, uh, year by year. And I guess the question comes up, how am I any different to anyone else? Or perhaps we're not a Christian, we're looking into things, and maybe we've got that question about the Christians we know. Is there actually any difference with them? Why would I want to change my life to be a Christian when they look the same as everyone else? See, how do we go on is an important question, isn't it? But it's not a question that's immediately obvious to answer. And it is a question that stumped the Galatian church. See, um, what's remarkable about the Galatian church, and I've seen this more and more as I've gone through, is how much it did start so well. They've done the Christianity Explore course, they got the cross, they got grace, they started with faith. Uh, Look what Paul says has happened. But look what Paul says has, has happened in verse three of chapter three. Here's what he says, three verse three. Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? So, notice how they start. They start well, they start with the Spirit, but now, he says, they're trying to attain their goal by human effort. And so, when we get to chapter five, Paul is showing them, uh, if not human effort, what is the way to go? They started well, how are they to go on? Well, that's what he gets to in chapter 5. And I want us to see three things. First of all, that we have a new calling to serve. We have a new means, the Spirit, and we have a new purpose to strive. See, first of all, we have a new calling uh, to serve. Here's those um, talk points. No, they're not. It's a confession again. It's always good to confess your sins. Uh, but not now. Okay, we'll leave that. Great. Thank you. We have a new calling to serve. We have a new means to spirit. We have a new purpose to strive. See, what are we saved for? That's the question, isn't it? Okay, Jesus dies to forgive us for our sins and bring us new life, but what's that for? Well, the answer comes in verse 13 of chapter 5. He says this, you, my brothers were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Notice we've got the positive and the negative. Uh, The negative is not to indulge the sinful nature. The positive is to serve one another. See, what are the Galatians called for? Well, to serve. See, the Galatians had missed the why. They got the how to come in. They got it was through the gospel, but they missed the why of why God called them. 
And just look at the effect that has. Uh, they, they've begun to um, start to turn on one another. Have a look at what he says about them in chapter 4, verse 14. He's speaking about them in the past in chapter 4, verse 14. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if you, I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to your joy? I can testify that if you had done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. And now look, what he look, uh, now look at what he says in chapter 5, verse 15. If you keep biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So here's the thing, they got in the right way, but they had got the going on bit wrong. I think that's what Paul means when he speaks about the sinful nature there. And I don't about you, but it's easy to read sinful nature, isn't it? And, and think, here's a list of kind of personal sins that I mustn't do. And there's some, something in that, but, but, but actually, these verses are more actually about the church as a community. All the use in this passage, we don't really get this in English, but all the use are plural. You lot, he's saying. And when he speaks about these acts of the sinful nature in verse 20, he's talking about community kind of sins. Look at what he says, verse 20, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. So Paul's not saying here, sort out your sins in your personal life. He's saying to the whole church, why are you reverting back to instinct? Why are you biting and devouring one another? Look, you loved one another. You loved me. And now you're starting to turn away from that. You're going the way of envy, of discord. And that's why Paul says, instead, turn to love or serving one another in love. See, God isn't just interested that we come in the right way. He's not interested, just interested that we kind of get that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Not to say those things aren't important. They absolutely are. But God is interested that we go on as we came in. I've got a family member that's planning to move to France soon. And um, even though it's only a short flight away, there's much to change. Uh, they're reading... Uh, about the language, obviously learning the language, reading about the culture, getting used to the French way of life, the cheeses, the wines, the laws. But imagine they thought to themselves, well, the job's done as soon as the plane lands in France. And they just carried on in their kind of English ways as soon as they got off the tarmac. Well, they wouldn't get very far if they didn't speak the language. They wouldn't get very involved in the community if they just kept to their ways. No, to be in France, well, it starts with the flight, but that's only the beginning, isn't it? Actually, they need to embrace the whole way of life, and it's like that here. See, the moment you become a Christian, you shift worlds. You shift cultures. Uh, here's a diagram that may help us. You shift from the world of the flesh, the sinful nature, a world plagued with division and dissension, into the world of the spirit a world of love, of serving one another. That's why Paul quotes the law as he does in verse 14. He says, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And Paul's point there is that the whole law was driving towards this aim, driving towards creating a new world where people would serve one another. Now, I wonder if this is a bit of a blind spot for us evangelicals, because in our effort to get salvation right, we can so stress the way we come into the Christian life. And that is absolutely right. It is by grace alone, through faith alone. And as Paul says, if we get that wrong, well, then actually we move away from Christ. But the danger, of course, is that we speak less about the ongoing Christian life. We think grace works when we come in. We forget that grace works when, it, when we go on. Or we forget that faith is the way we come in uh, sorry, we, we, we know that faith is the way we come in. We forget that faith is the way we go on. But actually, God saves us, not just so we carry on life as we had it. We're not saved just to indulge our pleasures and sins, nor are we saved just to carry on as we already did. We're saved to serve. Uh, here's what um, the reformer Martin Luther said uh, very helpfully. A Christian man or woman is the most free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian man is the most dutiful servant of all, subject to everyone. But I guess we might ask the question, why? Why would we want to serve others like this? Or perhaps we do. I mean, I guess everyone wants this, don't we? But how do we do it? I mean, the church isn't the only organization in our world saying that we need to love one another. But secondly, we see here, we have a new means, the Spirit. So it'd be very easy, wouldn't it, for the Galatians to read this as a kind of new law. Okay, we don't follow the law of Moses, but now we're to follow the law of love. But remember, Paul has spent five chapters showing us how wrong that type of thinking is. Showing that we're not right in God's eyes because of our achievements. Whether that's the law of Moses, whether that's the own our law we come up with ourselves, or whether that's a law like this, to serve one another. So Paul isn't just here saying, here's another rule to keep, guys. Okay, don't worry about the law. Here's a more simple one. Rather, he's showing that God is doing something far more fundamental. He's showing them what they've now become. Have a look at what he says in verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Or verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. See, Paul is saying, look, you've got a new guide, the Spirit. And when he says, if you're led by the Spirit, in verse 18, he doesn't mean there that there's two type of Christians, a kind of led by the Spirit type of Christian, or a non-led by the Spirit type of Christian. He's showing them that they are led by the Spirit. Have a look back over the page, chapter 4, verse 6, and uh, you'll see there that it was the Spirit who called them. It says in chapter 4, verse 6, because you're sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls our Abba, Father. See, without the Holy Spirit, Jesus may have died and may have risen again, but that wouldn't mean anything to them. They would not be saved. They needed the Spirit of God to come into their hearts and to work in them. See, going back to our diagram, it is the Spirit that has taken us from the world of the flesh, the sinful nature, 
into this new world of the new creation. But here's the thing, now we've moved into that realm, we are in a realm where the Spirit is at work. We don't longer operate in the way of the flesh. Now, how do we know that? Why, why say that? Well, Paul gets the Galatians to look at what they've become. Have a look at um, verses 19 to 23. We won't read through it all, but I guess, I don't know how you felt when we um, heard 19 to 23. It's very easy to hear that and think to ourselves, oh, here's a list of the, all the things I do wrong, and here's all the things I should do, but no, I don't. But actually, this isn't just some sort of spiritual checklist. This is meant to be more of an encouragement. See, in verse 20, Paul speaks about the hatred, the discord, the jealousy, the fits of rage, the selfish ambition, the dissensions, the factions. He's not describing Twitter uh, there per se, but he's describing what the Galatians were. This is the life they were called from. This is the kind of natural instinct we all have. And of course, there is the warning there in verse 21 that actually those who live like this, or more literally practice these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. But actually, here's the thing, Paul's point here is not to beat them up and say, come on guys, you're doing the jealousy, you're doing the fits of rage. He's not saying that. His point is to build up. Because look at what he says in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Notice what he says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. He's not saying there the job's done. We'll get to that. He's not saying there isn't a struggle. We'll come back to that again. But he does mean to say, guys, look at who you are. You've moved to this realm of the Spirit. The old man or woman has been crucified with Christ. And now, the very fact you're able to serve one another in love is a sign of that Spirit's work. It's easy to look at the church, isn't it, and think about all its problems. I mean, like the, the global church. But actually, for all its faults, the church is pretty amazing, isn't it? Because you get a group of people that are so different from one another, different generations, different cultures, different races, different backgrounds, different um, IQs, and you get them serving one another. Now, I guess lots of us have grown up in the church, and this has been second nature, but for me, coming into the church as an adult, I thought this was incredible. I was at university, and I went to a church for the first time, and I was so struck at how people loved one another. There were people in the congregation who I thought, well, you're annoying. Uh, they didn't have the right look. They kind of looked weird. They were socially awkward. They weren't outgoing. Uh, and now, yeah, that's, that's not... Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yet, I saw people next to them caring for them speaking about them, or speaking to them, asking them how they are, being gentle with them. I saw them, loved them, and I thought to myself, do you know, I've never seen anything like this. And Paul says that sort of work is possible because the Spirit of God has not only called you, but He's at work in the church, calling you to love and serve one another. See, without the Spirit, there would be no inclination to love people who are different to us. 
There'd be no inclination to love people who are a problem. There'd be no inclination to love people who just don't seem like us. But the Spirit changes us so we don't live for our own desires, but we live for each other. So when you see the church like that, it becomes a lot more exciting, doesn't it? The church isn't just an old organization that's kind of hung over from previous centuries. It is a community in which the Spirit of God is calling people and working in people so that they love one another. Uh, What does that mean for you and me? Well, thirdly and finally, we're going to see that we have a new purpose to strive. Because we might think to ourselves, well, the fact that this is the Spirit's work is a reason to kind of sit back and let Him do it. Uh, The Galatians might have read this and thought, well, okay, we're going to be passive then. But Paul, in fact, shows it's the opposite. Look at what he says in verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, The idea of keeping in step there is the idea of kind of lining up behind. It's kind of a military word uh, describing the ranks. And um, Paul says, look, actually, the very fact you're uh, called by the Spirit and led by the Spirit... You're to keep lined up behind the Spirit. I'm a, my, um, my old neighbor in my old house was a keen uh, mountain biker, and uh, I made the mistake of going out with him a few times. I haven't really got the bike for it, nor have I got the legs for it. I know they're long, but they've just not got much power. And um, I really, really struggled. Uh, it was a bit muddy. I, it was, felt almost impossible, and I didn't want to give up, obviously, but, but I, I felt I wasn't able to go on. And then I noticed that as long as I followed him, there was this kind of compacted trail of mud. And so as much, if I followed him kind of on the line where his tires had made, then actually I could manage this ride. In fact, it was quite easy going over all the flat mud. And it's that kind of idea here that the Galatians are to kind of keep in line with the Spirit. They're not to bring themselves into the realm of the Spirit. The Spirit's already at work, but they are to bring themselves into the trail that He's making. So it's not let go and let God. It's not throw up our hands and think, well, there's no hope, we can never change. But the very fact the Holy Spirit is at work in this community is the very fact that the reason we should strive to line up with Him. And of course, the Galatians have got this so wrong, haven't they? They strived to go for circumcision, to kind of prove their worth. They strived to keep the old law, thinking that actually that was a way to reassure them they were God's people. But the point is, Paul says, you're already in that right way. You're already in the world of the Spirit. And your job is to line up with the Spirit. But what does that look like on the ground? Well, Paul says, first of all, it's not easy. See, in verse 17, he shows there's a battle. He says, for the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other, so you do not do what you want. See, it's not that we've all jumped out of this world and totally left the present age behind us. Paul will go on to say that we are a new creation. We are people called by the Spirit. 
but it's like the old world kind of hangs over. And so we find that division, uh, we find that tug back uh, to the way of the world. Uh, Yes, we find that internally in our hearts, but Paul's speaking a bit broader than that to say actually in the community, actually we will have those pulls back towards selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, that sort of thing. But actually, the fact that the Spirit is at work means we have this very battle. See, there's a way of looking at this and thinking, oh my goodness, this is, you know, it sounds terrifying, but actually it's encouraging, isn't it? Because actually the very fact there's a tug in me to want to love the person who's annoying or to serve the person who won't serve me back is actually a sign that the Spirit is doing this work in us. And that's why I think Paul gives this example as he does in chapter 6, verse 1, because he shows us, secondly, as much as it's hard, it's not impossible. He speaks in chapter 6, verse 1, about someone caught in sin, and I'm guessing when he says caught in sin, he means those sins he's just described uh, in verses 20 to 21. Sins of division, sins of selfishness. And I don't know about you, but what's your instinct when you meet someone who's selfish? or someone who's jealous, or someone who's a bit of a pain in the neck. Well, it's, my instinct is to give them a wide berth, let them get on with it, and face their own consequences. But Paul's point is totally different, isn't it? Verse 6, verse 1, he says, Brothers, if someone's caught in a sin, you, are who, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. So you see the point. Here's an example of what it means to serve one another, not just handing people over to their sins and their problems, but actually gently restoring them, gently coming alongside them, and gently encouraging them. I wonder if you see the church as a place for this sort of service. I know being a Christian is tough, it's not easy, and probably we get to Sunday and we think, thank the Lord that um, I've got an opportunity to come to church and just to be fed and just to sing, just to be encouraged. And they're not bad things, I do pray that we feel like that. But actually, that's only half of it, isn't it? Because actually, we're coming together as people with a view to serving one another. And actually, actually, seeing church that way completely changes our whole orientation of how we come into church. See, when I come into church, I'm thinking, I've got all the things I've got to do and kind of all the stresses of getting here. But I guess this sort of... um, this sort of way of living changes the way we think as we come in. I guess we'll be coming in thinking, I know Fred's got a hard time at the moment. I'll make sure I help him and ask him how he's doing. Or I know Susie really struggles with sin. I'll ask her how I can pray for her. And I must say, here at St. Mary's, I know we don't get everything right, but I've been really encouraged by seeing that work take place day by day, bearing one another's burdens. But I know I need to hear that challenge from time to time to strive, to keep looking to that. But as we close, why do all this? Why serve one another? Why strive to keep in step with the Spirit? Well, Paul gives us the motivation in chapter 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, he says, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, when he speaks about the law of Christ there, I don't think he's saying there's a new law, you know, there's Moses' law, this is 
Christ's law and you need to kind of, you know, do this one instead of that one. But I think he's saying, actually, remember how Christ has fulfilled that law. See, the whole law was about loving your neighbor as yourself, and Christ has done that supremely. See, Christ had all the freedom of the world. He was perfectly free to do as he wished. But what did he do? He used his freedom to serve. Christ had all the life he could have wanted. He could have got people to serve him, but he didn't. He gave up his freedoms for the shackles of a wooden cross, serving even his enemies. And so that as Christ died, as he gave his life, he gave it so that we may be free, may be free to serve others. So that we now, by the Spirit, are able to fulfill that law. Not under our own steam, not by our own merits, but free by the Spirit to serve like Christ. Let's pray. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so we praise you, our Heavenly Father, for the Lord Jesus and his giving of himself for us. We thank you, Father, for your Spirit's work, not only calling us to be in your children, but also at work in us now. And we pray, Father, that we would be those as a church family that keep in step with the Spirit, not looking to the old ways of our own interests, but the interests of others. Please, by your Spirit, help us, Father, to keep in step, in line with him. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A few interesting questions for you, Rob. Yeah, thank you so much for engaging with us and um, for the questions that have come through. Thank you. Okay, good. I hope you're still grateful for them when you... (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Okay, so here's a, a challenging question. How do we help those who don't think the acts of the flesh are obvious because identity politics and same sex marriage have mixed things up in society? Yeah, thank you for the question. I think when he talks... Um, oh, what verse is it? Uh, I've lost the verse. Yes, verse 19. The acts of the simple nature are obvious. I think he's speaking less there about... Um, so the, the word isn't... The word is more kind of plain or known. So I think it's less about saying a commentary on kind of actually everyone out there knows their sins, they, they don't, and I think other bits of Bible teach us that. It's more saying, you Galatians, it's obvious, because look around the world, and you'll see there's division, dissensions, envy, and, um, you know, we don't have to look very far. I mentioned Twitter, but, um, yeah, we know that's obvious, it's just the way of the world, and we just say, well, that's just the way it is. But actually, Paul said, no, that's, that's a, a sign of uh, the sinful nature. So, um, so I don't think he's quite saying there people should know that, um, I don't know, sex outside of marriage is wrong or something. Yeah, he's not saying that. Um, so I don't think this is the place to go. Um, 
Surprisingly, I think the law is a good place to go because I think the law actually holds a mirror up to our own selves and our own world to show us what uh, sin looks like. Um, I don't know about you, I've got all sorts of ways of justifying myself uh, for the things I do, but actually as, as I look at God's law, um, I see that, um, yeah, I see what sin really looks like. Does that help? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. okay. Uh, another one, slightly different. If we know someone, it, sorry, if we, know, if we know someone is knowingly sinning, should we just avoid them altogether because of the caution to watch ourselves or we also may be tempted? Yeah, really helpful. So again, when I'm not denying the, that this could be about personal sin, so I'm not saying there's not an application there, but I am saying that actually primarily the thrust of this passage is um, about corporate sin, so kind of division between one another. And the reason is because both the sin list and the fruit of the spirit list uh, speaks in those sort of terms. Um, so when he's saying, brothers, if someone's caught in sin, I don't think he means, you know, someone's caught gambling or someone's caught, you know, abusing alcohol or something. It's, that may be true, but that's less the idea here. I think it's more um, actually someone who is destroying or working against the community. So that could be gossip, could be jealousy, could be selfish ambition, um, and a lot of things that we probably don't think of as obvious sins. Um, so I think when, he, when he's saying you should restore them gently, I think he's saying actually someone who's kind of got into that mode of being, actually you want to bring them back in, not cut them off, but restore them. Um, I think he's saying that because remember, there's kind of different things going on in the Galatian church. He has said to the teachers, uh, about the Galatian teachers, um, cut them off really, kind of ignore them. Um, he's told them to emasculate themselves, as we saw last week. Uh, he's rebuked Peter, so he's uh, corrected him. Um, and I guess there are lots of others who are just very confused, and he's saying, look, restore them gently, bring them in. So to answer the question, I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> if someone's caught in sin, um, I think there is, I think when he's saying, watch yourself, I think he's saying, don't watch, you don't get caught in that same battle. And you know how Twitter is. You set out with good intentions and then you end up finding out someone's wrong on the internet and you end up becoming what you're trying to react against. And I think it's that sort of sense. Okay, um, thank you. Yeah. Okay, and then how does this life in the spirit link in with the thrust of the letter so far, which is focused to some extent on circumcision? Yeah, thank you. So um, I wonder if it'd be helpful to put the, di- David, I don't know if we can put the diagram back up of the spirit taking us into the world of flesh, but... Um, why that's uh, the one before, so the second. That's brilliant, thank you. So um, how's this link? Well, I think you could cut Galatians in two um, on this kind of flesh-spirit idea. So when he says sinful nature, the, the, the actual word is flesh. And Paul's saying, look, there's these two realms. There's the present evil age, as he describes in chapter one, Remember, Tim took us there a long time ago. And that is marked by this kind of flesh, living as we feel instinctive. Um, And there's there's this new world, the spirit, which is marked by love for one another. And I think the circumcision is, as I said last week, going back, if I can kind of draw a line here, it's um, going back from this realm into this. So you may do this in a kind of irreligious way and kind of, 
get into envy and division and all that sort of stuff and move backwards. But you also may do it in a religious way by going circumcision, law keeping and all that. Um, both those things, kind of irreligion or religion, are both signs that you live in this world and not this world. So I think that's what's going on. Paul's saying, don't go for circumcision because it's part of this world. Don't go for division because it's part of this world. Um, stay in the spirit. Um, do I want to say more than that? I think that's okay. okay. Yeah. One last one. Yeah, great. So how do we daily stay in step with the spirit practically? What can we do day by day to stay in step with God's spirit? Yeah, really, really helpful question. Um, yeah, I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, I'm reading a bit. There's a book by Jim Packer called Keeping in Step with the Spirit, which I thought appropriate, <laughs> which would be very helpful to, to follow up with. Um, I think uh, two things. So I think it was hugely encouraging looking at this again to think I'm not doing an impossible task here. So I'm pushing against an open door that the Spirit is at work doing this work and actually keeping in step with him, that's a very different way of thinking about things as in, actually, I'm really you know, not like this and I'm going to try and be like this, if that makes sense. So first of all, thanking God that the Spirit has done this work uh, and continues to do this work. I think it is worth meditating on those fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and um, seeking those things, praying for those things, but again, not in a sense of like, I've got to muster up the energy to do this, but in the sense of the Spirit is doing this work and praying that I would. Um, I've got to slip in a third thing. So, yeah, yeah so um, thanking God for the Spirit, looking at what the Spirit does uh, and praying that through. But also, third and finally, um, we didn't get time to get into this in detail, but, but Paul speaks about, in verse 3 of chapter 6, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And, and, and what Paul, I think, does there, quite interestingly, is, is take the gospel and say, actually, um, the, the root cause of all this is kind of not understanding the gospel. So um, we stay in step with the Spirit by taking ourselves back to the gospel. Because the gospel says, I mean, what's the root cause of envy? Well, it's you actually think you're something or God owes you something. What's the root cause of anger? Well, it's actually someone's got something that you want or someone's kind of crossed a line that you have in your mind. Uh, what's the root cause of selfish ambition? You think you deserve something. And I guess the gospel says, actually, you don't. Um, but the wonderful news is you don't need to get your self-identity from there because God has done everything in Christ. So I think, yes, thank God for the Spirit's work, look at what his fruit is, but also come back to the gospel because it's there we find forgiveness and there we find the motivation um, to live for him. Thank you. Thanks for the questions. Thank you.